This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Carey, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty joe show or patreon.com slash carrie brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Fatty Joe Show. This is the second half of my interview with Jesse Greger, who through hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, completely keto, and then went on to create her own keto backpacking food company called Next Mile Meals. It's the first keto backpacking food company to exist and has some really great offerings for anybody that wants to put something together to have a keto emergency kit, keto backpacking kit, or just to have something around just in case something comes up. Now, if you've missed it, I want you to go back and listen to the first part of the episode. Jesse has a lot of great tips out there. We're going to jump right into this one where some people from our Fatty Joe Show group were able to ask Jesse some questions. And we're going to hear Jesse's answers and she's going to give some tips about backpacking and also being a woman on the trail. All right, everybody, enjoy the show. I have a few questions from my group and I'm going to ask a question from one person now. They don't know I'm interviewing you. So okay. I just <laughs> question. Anybody got questions about keto backpacking? I, I wanted to preface this because you're going to probably crack up at the, at this question when, when I ask it. So this is, there was a three part question by Doug Hildebrandt who um, I'm going to read right now. Uh, the question is, anybody want to know anything about keto backpacking? He said, who's doing it? How far have they done it? I'm trying to work out the logistics of a coast to coast walk. Now ADT rails, trails, lots of possibilities. What foods are light keeps well, still good on the keto macros, nuts, nut butter, packaged fat bombs, jerky, commercial pemmican, homemade pemmican, those packaged next mile meal thing. <laughs> well, I'm glad we have some notoriety. <laughs> Are there any good chocolate recommendations with a high melting, the chocolate one? No, this is great. Okay, so we'll start with uh, logistics. Logistics are, are actually the hardest part. Everybody knows, more, if you've done keto for a while, you know what you should be eating, but how to get that food to you on trail is actually very challenging. A lot of hikers on, especially through the PCT, um, were self-supported, meaning they didn't have anybody at home mailing them things. If they got to a town that had a grocery store, which there are very few, there's maybe, I think there's 30 or 40 trail towns that you have the option of like, 
hiking into or hitching into um, to resupply. Of those, maybe five had actual grocery stores or, or uh, some of them had just gas stations with like jars of peanut butter and Twinkies. Um, and so the options to resupply along trail are fairly limited. If you are self-supported, a lot of them will go to a grocery store. Like there's one in Big Bear um, down in California and they will pre-purchase all of the, the like they'll, they'll, they'll pre-portion out all of their, you know, okay, well, I need five days for this place and 10 days for this place. And they'll ship them ahead to themselves. If you are hiking keto, you do not have that luxury of being able to resupply at a grocery, at a gas station, at most grocery stores, you can get by with the grocery stores, but it's not great. Um, and especially some of the trail towns that are literally just, you know, lodges in the middle of the Sierras, uh, they're not going to have anything you can eat. And so I would be surprised if somebody was successfully able to through hike solo without any support. Um, I, in my time in 2017, before stores really carried anything with the name keto on them, things are a little bit different now. Um, I was totally reliant on my partner, Christopher, who was home and was mailing out what are we called mail drops ahead of time. So just about a week or two out, he would, he would have this elaborate spreadsheet that was like calculating my pace per day. Okay. Between Warner Springs and the next one is, you know, 102 miles. So she's going to need this many days of food. And he was, he was very carefully mailing them out. Like I, people always ask me like, what would you do? Or what advice would you give to, to keto hikers? And I would say, find yourself a Christopher, um, find yourself somebody who is willing to put in that time to mail ahead all the things you're going to need. And it's not just food. It's you need ice spikes when you reach the Sierras, you need to send home your bear can when you're out of Yosemite. Like there's a bunch of logistic challenges that you need a partner for, and it's doubly true for keto hikers. So that's that's the first part is is having a male resupply buddy is crucial. If you want to do it on hard mode and do it by yourself, let me know. I'd love to hear about that how that goes. But um, you really need you really need somebody at home. Um, as far as which foods to pack, our website has a great list. So it's a lot of um oils, so a lot of olive oils or avocado oils. Um, I love to pack these in. Uh, if you go to the try the uh, travel section of your local drugstore, um, there's always like a baby oil. Um, if you clean it out really good, the lids on those tiny little guys, two ounce bottles, they're made to prevent oil from leaking. Uh, so I fill up a whole bunch of those with olive oil and sesame oil if I'm eating something uh, Asian cuisine. Uh, those are really great for adding a couple hundred calories to your to your meals. Um, chocolate with a <laughs> with a melting point. Um, I loved the, I forget what the brand was, Simply. It was available at Trader Joe's. Uh, this is what I used to make uh, the trail mix that I ate on trail. What I would recommend is just embrace the melt <laughs> and put it in a bag and eat it with a spoon as you hike. Um, but some of the warmer days, especially through the desert section, uh, the Mojave, um, my trail mix, which was comprised, and we put the trust recipe online. So, so if anyone wants to hear a keto trail mix recipe, it's available on nextmilemeals.com. Um, it was uh, macadamia nuts and almonds. And I think we were chopping up some like freeze-dried strawberries to throw in there. And it had chopped up chocolate. And on the hot days, it melted. And I would just hold it in my hand and eat it with my long-handled spoon as I was walking. And it was great. <laughs> um, what other keto hiking advice? Uh, oh, electrolytes. Good Lord, please make sure you are drinking or eating electrolytes. As you are sweating, you are more prone to electrolytes electrolyte imbalances than your conventional friend, friend conventionally eating hiker friends. Um, so make sure you have salt. Uh, new salt is great. If you want to make electrolyte drops before you leave, that's always great. Um, I was taking magnesium tablets through some particularly rough terrain. This is a thing in, in the front country as well. Like when you're eating keto, you have to watch your electrolytes. If you're feeling dizzy or nauseous or tired or cranky, it's probably an electrolyte problem. And I'll times that by like 10, because now you're in the middle of the woods and you're trying to hike up, you know, a 2000 foot climb and you tire out halfway up. It's probably an electrolyte problem. So those are those are my those are my big pieces of advice. It is absolutely possible uh, that I am not the only one who has done it. I 
I do think I was one of the first to complete it. Um, I have not yet found anybody else who attempted a through on keto before me, but I am happy to be wrong about that. Um, but there have been many after me and a lot of them are customers and they, they send me cool photos of like our meals at the, at the beginning and end stops. And it's just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have this like starstruck moment of just like, this is a comfortable, you know, come full circle. This is so great. So um, to that person, I think his name was Doug. Like you can absolutely do it. Logistics are challenging. Um, be flexible with your food. Yeah, and I, I think the only other people I can think of that might've been hiking keto or like back in the prehistoric days when they were hunting their food along the way. So yeah, for sure. I can't compete with them. <laughs> All right, cameo. There's ah, love it. <laughs> we're in my leg. You know, I agree with one of the ones that I like to do as far as fat too, is like companies like F-Bomb make uh, these really cool like single serve packets that are already sealed in, in the thing. So those are pretty good to add some fat. And there was another company where I actually found they had ghee in, in the little single serve packets, which was pretty awesome. Uh, for electrolytes, I recommend to people because electrolyte drops are great, but they have a tendency to leak no matter what you put them in. So Keto Chow and Redmond's Real Salt make the pill, little capsules. And those are cool because there's less water, less weight, and you put them in there. So I like to recommend those because a few times, I haven't been on a real extended hike for a while, but the few times where I've gone on a couple of overnights or something like that, those are what I packed in and that, that helped out a lot. But yeah, that's that's kind of cool things. I have a question from Corey Mordrowski, who is on the show. He's our keto rock. He's somebody uh, we've we've talked about who does you know very similar stuff as far as using a backpack for fitness. He wants to know what kind of shoes you're using, what kind of boots you're using. Uh, do not wear boots if you are thinking about through hiking or doing anything longer than a day hike. Don't wear boots. Boots are heavy. The only thing worse than weight on your back is weight on your feet. And so uh, we kind of joke that there's a like a through hiker starter pack. Um, you will see maybe 75% of all, especially PCT through hikers, but also the AT or the CDT or any of the other long trails. Um, we, I wear what's called um, Ultra, Ultra Lone Peaks. They're trail runners. Um, I'm particular to this brand because uh, <laughs> on trail and unfortunately after trail, my feet gained not in length, but in width. So now I have these, these massive feet. I hate them so much. And the toe boxes on Ultras are very wide. And when you're hiking long distances, even if you don't have long uh, wide feet, uh, you want as much space as possible between your toes and the sidewalls of your shoe. Otherwise you are going to end up with blisters and you're going to go home. As soon as I switched from, I started off with just some, some generic hiking boots, but as soon as I switched to ultras and toe sock, those, those were like the, the big game changers for me. I think it was at mile like 100. It was at Warner Springs. It was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, it's not the food. It's my feet that are killing me. I had lost toenails at that point. I freaked out my Instagram followers by, by posting a photo of me pulling off one of the toenails, which I, I still stand by. It was part of the experience. <laughs> and, um, but the Ultra Lone Peaks is the shoe that I wear. I still wear them to this day. I still wear them for weekend trek or longer trek. The thing that goes with them really well is uh, in Jinji toe socks, the trail socks. I have a hard time with the footwear and stuff myself because of my size of my foot. I wear a size... 15 to 16 and it's it's tough to find stuff and right now i'm wearing merrells and they're not the best i have to admit they 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 rub a little bit so i have another question let's see here from christy keller salter what is the best way to get started <laughs> well okay so this is the answer I would have given you a couple of years ago versus the answer now um, is a bit different. Is the question to get started just 
keto backpacking or is it keto through hiking? She didn't specify. So okay. I'm just gonna, uh, let's go with just getting out backpacking. Like, I, I don't exactly know what she means. Maybe you can come into the group and, and talk to yeah. her a little bit. Um, I'll give it, I'll give it from both angles. Totally fine. Um, so just to get started keto backpacking one, I, I will assume that this person has already backpacked conventionally before that the question isn't how do I pitch a tent? <laughs> um, so if you already know how to backpack, that's, that's the biggest challenge. And, and honestly, if you're new to backpacking, it's not that challenging. Um, it sounds intimidating, but it's not. If the issue is how to get started keto backpacking, first thing I would say, and, and just across the board for any keto endurance sport, even if you think it's a three-day weekend, it's still you're still an endurance, you're still a keto in the backcountry. You have to be keto adapted. You have to have been strict keto and not, not like, oh, it's fine. I'm like lazy keto. I like, I eat keto-ish. I just don't count the carbs or like I have a lot of sugar alcohols or I have those keto ice cream bars with a bunch of modified whatever, whatever starches. No, you have to be strict keto for about three to four weeks at minimum. Um, I recommend doing it for at least two, two to three months. You can, you can say consistently that you were fully keto adapted for a couple months prior to you hitting the trail. Because if you've been kind of lax about it prior to hitting the trail, suddenly when those keto ice cream bars are not accessible anymore, or when you can't eat handfuls of almonds anymore, um, those are the things that everybody sort of squints and goes, ah, keto. But in the backcountry, you can't do that because you literally didn't take them in with you. Um, so when you're finally cut off from those, we'll call them cheats or like if you squint, it's keto items, um, your body will crash again. Your body will go through an actual keto adaptation, but now you're doing it live on trail while you also have to hike, which sounds miserable. And I have, I've only had to do this once. Um, there was a midway point on the trail, a little town called Siad Valley, and they're famous with hikers for doing a pancake challenge. And so they'll, they'll serve you for 20 bucks, like these hubcap sized inch thick pancakes, and there's five of them. Um, and the, the, the gimmick is, if you finish all of them, it's free, but it's also $20. So everybody tries. Um, and so I was like, well, I've <laughs> went in Rome. So uh, I did the, the pancake challenge, felt like garbage. Every hiker felt like garbage. Um, but then the immediate hike out of Siad Valley, as you're trying to get readapted to keto, is this like two to 3,000 feet foot ascent. It's an immediate, like one of the steepest sections of trail, just hike out. And now I'm on that trail. My stomach is just like a lead weight full of flour and carbs. Um, and I'm now hiking about 25 miles uphill. I would never wish that upon anybody. And so if you're thinking of doing a three-day hike and you haven't fully adapted beforehand, that's what's in store for you. If you're fully adapted before you go, you're going to have a great time, pack a couple extra calories if you need to, but just, just make sure that you, you really are like aware of your way of eating, that you've actually measured it, that you're not just, you know, guessing about portion sizes, like measure it for a while, get keto adapted, and then try it on a three day hike. That's kind of the recommendation for anybody that's trying any sport and wanting to be keto and adapt during the off time and then, then go into it. I have, I'm gonna have one more question, but this is actually kind of directed to me. This is from <laughs> Stephanie Trammell. Will you watch my three kids so that I can go on a backpacking trip, Yogi Parker? And <laughs> can use Benadryl, whiskey, and duct tape and copious amounts of those things. It is, it is definitely a, a trail that is a bit self-selected because if you have other things going on in your life, you can't do it. The, the groups of people that were on trail was very much kids out of high school before college. They were just like trying to get in before they started school. Um, there was a couple of young professionals in their late 20s, early 30s like me that just didn't have kids. Um, and then there was a bunch of retirees. And there was this big swath in the middle where like you're having kids and you have full-time jobs and the flexibility just isn't there. Um, so if you have the flexibility, amazing. Um, but I know that it's a luxury and a privilege that, that I was able to experience it when a lot of people can't. There's some unique challenges to hiking as a woman. 
out on the trail. And, and there's a lot of it, psychological challenges, fear-based, things like that. And to also the physical challenges of, of handling certain things that women may need to handle that men don't have to handle. So can you give us some, some pointers on, on being a woman on the trail, like what it's like, how to handle, like, what are some tips for women to be out there? Cause I'd love to see more women comfortable enough to hit the trail and, and, and power through it. There's been some great women out there that have written some books like blisters and things like that, that, that are out there and they, they've done a fantastic thing. So I want to touch on this stuff. And since this episode will be releasing around the time of women's health month, it'll be a great kind of addition to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, we'll split this up into two. Like one being the logistics, women, women-specific hiking things, and the second can be sort of health and safety. Um, the little more serious topic. The lighter stuff. The like, what do I have to deal with on trail as a lady that men don't? Um, because you're right. It is, it is unfortunate that the outdoors are really white and they're really male. Um, and so trying to get a more diverse set of hikers, whether that's race or gender, is absolutely crucial. And there's been a big push for that lately. Um, and so as a as a lady, the the way that I can help is to help make things a little easier and transparent for women on trail. Um, There are plenty of women through hikers. Um, The specific things that we deal with, all right, let's start with the the less obvious ones. Um, We are, we have wider hips. We have wider hips and all backpacking gear is made for men. I hate this. The default is male. Um, So uh, backpacks, usually they'll come out with the men's version first, which means tiny waist straps, larger shoulder width. Um, And then they will, in a couple of years, once they've proven that the men's version works, they'll come out with the women's version which is, um, we like to joke that it's shrink it and pink it, make it a little bit smaller and make it pink. And that's all you need to do. And I, this makes me livid. Um, there are a couple gear companies that make specific straps for foods. Um, you're going to look for what's called an S strap, not a J strap. Um, ULA makes a really great version and it's really customizable. Osprey has a couple of good women's, women's, um, gear, but for the most part, Deuter, man, my first bag from them was just the male's version, but it was magenta and they attached a, a glue on flower to it. This is in infuriating. Um, and so like, I will name and shame, like Deuter, do better. Uh, and so for gear, you're going to want to look at things that are customizable. Another thing is um, women sleep colder than men. All of the ratings that you see for sleeping bags are men's ratings. This is acknowledged. This isn't just an assumption. This is, this is, this, these, are, these are the thresholds that men can handle when in this amount of down. For women, subtract 10. So if you're looking at a 20 degree bag, that means a man can survive in this bag comfortably um, down to 20 degrees. For a woman, that's 30. That's a big difference. So subtract 10 in your mind and go a little colder. Honestly, on trail, the coldest it ever got was in the high 20s, but I, I hiked with a zero degree bag. I slept cold. I knew I slept cold and it was it was delightful. Um, another piece of advice is the sleeping pad are designed with men's body shapes in mind. So the, the wide shoulders down to the narrow torso. So everything is, is this shape, triangle shape. Women don't look like this, generally speaking. Um, so you're gonna look for things that allow your wider hip to have warmth on all sides. So I like to buy... Um, it's wide or, or heavy versions. So it's usually made for people that are slightly overweight. Um, but that means they've added a couple baffles to the hip. So you probably end up still with too much room around your head, but like, whatever, now you have room to swim around. The important thing is your hips, which is where our, our core heat is, um, is fully insulated from the ground. And to do that, you're going to need more, more width than most men do. Um, what other gear? Um, men have the delightful advantage of peeing while standing up. 
this is the one time where I'm very jealous of a man's ability to backpack. Um, for women, a lot of ladies on trail use what's called a pee style or a shiwi. Uh, this sounds funny, um, but it does allow ladies to stand up while they pee. Um, and it's funny to think about, but it is a godsend. I attached mine onto a, a retractable clip, like the kind you do for key cards when you're in our building. I had it attached to the side of my bag and I would just walk off the trail, pee real quick, get back on trail, keep going. It was so, so needed. Um, what else we got? Oh, periods. If you want to get really deep into things, get an IUD before you go or a moon cup. Um, you don't want to be dealing with tampons and pads on trail, not only because you have to pack it in, pack it out. They're also bulky to hike in. They're not enjoyable. So you, if you have the option to do something, um, a moon cup or IUD style, I hike with an IUD, but I didn't have to deal with it. Um, those were, those were fantastic. As far as other lady things go, um, I think that's about it. Support the support the gear companies that are focused on women that that know and understand that women's bodies are shaped differently than men's, and unfortunately, not all gear companies get it, um, which is which is kind of sad. So yeah, that's the fun stuff. Um, safety on trail for a lady. Honestly, there is a bit of self-selecting population control that the people that are willing to go out in the middle of the woods for 10 days at a time without any access to electricity or cell phones aren't generally the kind of people you need to be worried about. Um, usually the, I, I never once felt unsafe on trail. The only time I was even questioning it was when I was in towns. When you're alone in towns, that's where suddenly like the, the people that are just in towns you see the day to day, forget if you're backpacking or not, they're still there and now you are there alone. So I, I did hike in the beginning with a friend. So we started together, um, but I did split up with him uh, after about, I want to say about 30 days to hike the, the next 45 days after that by myself. For about a month and a half, I was hiking alone um, and I never once felt unsafe uh, while on trail trail, to be clear. But then you have to hitchhike into town and you kind of have to get into a car with a stranger. As far as uh, hiking as a woman, um, as far as safety concerns, uh, I feel like it's a little bit overblown. The biggest concern and safety-wise that I ever experienced on trail was in in towns as I was as I was refueling, as I was picking up mail drops. Um, you're dealing with people that are just the same people you would deal with day-to-day, you know, through Tahoe, through um, Medford and Ashland up north. Um, those, those are the times where hitching into town with complete strangers um, did feel a little unnerving, um, but never felt unsafe. Uh, once you're on trail, once you hike out past the distance that most day hikers hike and you're in the woods, the self-selecting group of people that are willing and able to do that are are generally the same types of persons that you are. They're they're you know, they're fully there mentally. There's no, there, there's no, you know, worries about what they're going to do in the middle of the night. Like they are wonderful people to be around. I didn't meet a single hiker that I felt unsafe around or was unhappy to be hiking next to. And while I did hike alone for a good portion, about 45 days of the trail, you know, the, the worst part was waking up with a spider on my face and having nobody to like, to, to tell to, or, or to help me kill it. Like it was, it was fine. I'm trying to think the, if you want to hike with people the entire time, even if you start alone, you could literally go the entire trail hiking around people and not spend a single day alone. Um, the trail, especially the PCT is so well-traveled that it's almost, almost to a fault where, where the popularity of it means that you're hiking in groups of two to three people at a time. Sometimes 40, 40 hikers will be in a single trail town resupplying at the same time. So if you are actually seeking solitude, that's actually a bit more challenging to come by. But most most evenings, you will be around other hikers. You will start seeing the same hikers as you as you do what's called leapfrogging them. 
time, like maybe you're going a little faster for a couple of days, and then they're a couple of days behind you. Uh, there's a bubble effect where a lot of hikers, even though they're spread out for permit reasons, will start sort of congregating together into bubbles or they'll leave towns around the same time. Um, so you can you can hike, you can through hike at least the Pacific Crest Trail, even if you start alone and not be alone ever. Um, but yeah, be, be safe in towns. Don't do anything you wouldn't do in your normal day-to-day life. Um, if you don't feel safe about getting into, because you do, you have to hitchhike occasionally. If you don't feel safe, don't get in the car. You do not need to carry a gun. I get asked this all the time. Did you did you carry a weapon? Did you carry, you know, pepper spray? No, no, I didn't. And I never wished that at any point, oh man, I really wish I had a, a weapon or something at this time. Um, I want to make sure women feel safe on trail and I'm not trying to downplay those that have felt ever unsafe on trail. Um, but that shouldn't be a reason that you don't try it. Um, if you wanna, if you wanna give it a go, try it for a three-day weekend uh, in a well-traveled area, um, something close to you, just to see how it feels to sleep alone in a tent. That actually was the worst part. Was like when a deer would walk by in the middle of the night, and I didn't know what was happening. Um, and deer sound very loud when they are feet from your face, uh, and they don't know that you're in a tent there. So the scary moments I had on trail had nothing to do with the other people. Uh, they mostly had to do with the weather and the snow and rattlesnakes. I've been out on uh, some scary areas myself and it's usually your mind playing more tricks on you for things you hear at night than it is anything that's actually dangerous yeah bring so, earplugs is usually my recommendation yeah um i wanted to touch on you finding gear that fits being a plus size individual most gears are made for the awgs which is the average white guys and uh me being like if I, I I have a 54 inch chest. So like even finding gear myself and my height and everything, it, it's, it's tough. Like I, I got, um, I, my friends would bag on me because my backpack is a 90 liter and I'm like, you don't realize how much room might just like a, a pair of pants takes up in my pack let alone my sleeping bag which is the extra tall extra wide yeah. you know and no, there's, there's uh, a penalty for different sizes like yeah if you're not yeah. a you know if you said average white guy it, there's definitely a penalty there and unfortunately the, the industry hasn't really come around to it yet yeah i know i know even a few of my male friends are friends of color that are out backpacking and they have a different physique than most of your average you know white guy hikers you know who you, you think of your average white guy hiker they're a beanpole, you know, and and uh, kind of a hippie looking dirty grungy guy. And some of my friends that are, you know, former football players and stuff, and they're kind of built, they're kind of muscular, it's hard. And so it's got to be if we're having a hard time, it's got to be even more challenging for a woman. Yeah, it's always challenging and usually pretty predictable ways. It's always the hip size. It's always the boobs standing while peeing. Like those are, those are the things. Oh, and the lack of pockets. You would think that of all the gear of all the women's gear that should have decently sized pockets, it's backpacking gear. No, I, I finally found like a manufacturer that makes good women's hiking pants, but even, even they are occasionally a little too like fit and flared. And I'm like, stop it with a fit and flare. Just give me sturdy and durable. <laughs> right. Don't make guys hiking pants that you can stab with a knife and won't rip and yet yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's just insane um my, my partner and i go to um outdoor gear conferences now that we're we're trying to figure out what the next step for the company is and those gear conferences are for a person that backpacks is just like toys r us winter wonderland amazingness where you're seeing all of the new technology all the new styles before they hit shelves in your local gear outfitter oh, yeah. um and even as i'm having conversations with the major manufacturers in the space and i my, my partner will be walking around and he'll grab like some really cool technical shirt or pants or a new backpack and i'll ask the question do you have a women's version and 
And they go, mm, no. And I'm like, when will you have a women's version? The answer is we don't know. And that's what's crazy is that there should be more of like a parallel development track that doesn't have to be this offshoot of the of the average white guy version where like they've made version A so they can make version A slash female. Okay, well now we're trying to version B, but now it's B slash female. Like try just making women's gear. I Same thing with keto yes. keto food. There is a market, people. If you are listening to this and you have any sway with a, with a manufacturing company, um, like there is a market there. If you would just tap into it that we we care. We are individuals that are not just men with tits. <laughs> Yeah. I've seen some more companies coming out with like more female oriented gear. I think it was Big Agnes actually makes a mummy bag that actually has hips to it now. And uh, uh, Teton Sports is making different size bags. I don't think they have any female stuff, but like, like they're making big guy stuff, at least, you know, and um, I know some of the big guy stuff works well for some of the ladies because big guys generally have need more room in the base and everything too. That helps. Yeah, but, but that's yeah, what's infuriating it's, though is backpacking has been a hobby, like a commercial mm -hmm. hobby now for at least 50, 60 years, if not longer. And only in 2020, 2021 is gear finally coming out that is meant for different bodies. Um, yeah. Even something as simple as a sleeping pad that is rectangular and isn't triangle shaped, like that small adjustment like is a game changer. And the fact that it's taken this long for companies to realize that not everybody is a beanpole white guy is, is incredibly frustrating, but I'm, in, I'm encouraged by some of the developments that are happening in the space. Yeah, I gave up on some of the sleeping pads and I just went to a hammock. I'm just like, oh, hammock living's great. Yeah. So, and then you just put your under quilt on and you're good to go, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about gear because getting started, it the barrier of entry for a lot of people can seem kind of intimidating. And I was wondering if you have any kind of recommendations on getting gear, not having to invest a lot of money in to help get people get started. Yeah. So the number one suggestion I always say is, is um, even if you don't think you need to be packing ultralight, use an ultralight mentality. So whether or not you are upgrading your existing gear or you're starting from scratch, if you if you invest or if you buy material that is lightweight now, you will you will be thankful for that when it's when you're on trail and you're not carrying a six pound bag. My my backpack, empty backpack, weighs less than a pound. So there's ways you can start cutting weight. And so so my original gear when I started backpacking, um, I was buying a lot of it used. I, I, you know, I was, in, I was working at a nonprofit. I didn't have a credit card to lay down at REI and just go wild. And so a lot of my gear was used or Craigslist or um, on sale. And I wasn't picky. It wasn't you know down versus synthetic, which is the better weight value. I was just like, whatever gets me outdoors. Like, let's just start with the, like the, the entry level experience. I think my pack weighed nearly 30 pounds. And those first couple adventures, I felt it. And then within about a year or two of realizing that this was a hobby I wanted to actually do, um, I started upgrading my gear slowly. So my, my biggest piece of advice is if you can make purchases from the get-go that are ultra light, um, that's what I would do. There is a fantastic ultralight community on Reddit. So it's um, subreddit is r slash ultralight. Um, they are one of the the most technical, welcoming, inclusive groups um, that you can see people like post their existing gear to be like, what can, what changes can I make? They also, important to this conversation, have on their sidebar the budget ultralight purchases and their community gathers a bunch of inexpensive options. They love the Costco down quilt. Like somebody found this at Costco and they were like, you can make a really great ultralight sleeping bag out of this really easily. Um, and it's less, it's like 25 bucks. So like if you're doing lightweight, um, uh, warm weather backpacking, just use this. 
And so they keep that sidebar updated all the time as people find new and interesting, inexpensive, but still good quality gear. Um, so if you're just starting out, go go peruse that subreddit for a little bit. The moderators there are fantastic. Reddit gets a bad name nowadays, but there are some really wholesome, good-hearted communities there. They just use it as a way to share ideas and information. And, and that, that community is a great place to start. That's awesome. One of the, the great ways I find for people to get entry to is there's a lot of companies now that are doing gear rentals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to for a small amount of money to invest and be able to try out different gear to see what's going to work for you, what's going to fit the best. And then you can make your investment later on when you find a company or a brand or a style that works for you. And there's a lot of companies, I'm not sure if REI has jumped on that yet, but I know there's a lot of backpacking or outdoor companies that do that now. And yeah, then- I don't think REI does the rentals yet, but um, the, the ones to invest in are what's called the big three. If you're looking at what to rent versus what to buy and all of that is, is focus on the big three. So that's your, your, your bag and your tent and your sleeping bag. Um, if you you can figure out a way to make those comfortable and lightweight. The rest of it, rent, borrow from friends, the rest of it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Those big three make up the majority of the weight on your back and the majority of your comfort while you're hiking. So if all you have to worry about is those three and the rest of it, you can rent or borrow or yeah, figure out, do you like synthetic sleeping bags or do you like down sleeping bags? Do you like trekking pole supported tents versus you know the aluminum pole tents? Like absolutely, renting is a great way to go. Yeah, it, it's a great way to like... I. I used to dive scuba dive a lot. I, I recommended the same thing to people getting into scuba diving. Try out a bunch of different gear because different manufacturers are going to, things are going to fit differently. I do recommend to people look few budget companies that I know of that sell pretty decent quality gear for the money, pretty valuable. And like one's Teton Sports who sells some pretty good budget gear that you're not going to invest in an arm and a leg into getting. And I actually have one of their big guy sleeping bags and it's, it's pretty awesome. I do prefer, like if I have the money, I'll prefer Big Agnes because I can get those sleeping bags that you can slide your sleeping pad into and not roll off during the middle of the night. Since I'm doing hammock camping, you know, most of the time nowadays, I don't worry about that anymore either. So, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely something that, uh, and also you, you know, look at the environment that you're in too, that you're planning on going out hiking the most at, because you're going to probably want to tailor your gear toward that environment. Like if I'm in Southern California, maybe the hammock camping isn't the best thing. I don't think Joshua trees are going to support you that much down there. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Because this has been a food podcast about next mile meals. What was your camp kit? So again, ultralight. So my stuff's pretty minimal. Um, so I would hike with a, a 450 uh, milliliter mug. Um, and that mug was my cook pot. That was my coffee drinking container. Um, that mug was my everything. Uh, so my kitchen was that mug. Um, it was a fuel canister and then a what's called a BRS, like a tiny little screw on uh, camp stove. Um, BRS TI or 500 or something. You can find them. You can find them online. Um, it's a $12. Again, speaking of budget, it's a $12 stove. Um, um, and that thing was was just just plugged along. Like I, I I still have it to this day. We still use it when we go on couple camping stuff. Um, so I had those three, and then a long handled titanium spoon. Nobody needs sporks on trail. You don't need a fork on trail. You don't need a knife. You don't need a spork. The one tool you need is a spoon. So get a long handled spoon. So especially as you're dipping into a bag of trail mix or a prepackaged meal or a ziploc bag of your homemade stuff, that long handle comes in handy. Um, I I attached it by a, a carabiner to my uh, to my bag. I lost mine twice on trail because I was using it so much. And every time 
I lost it and I had to fashion some spoon out of some tent stakes and some duct tape, I was like, the MacGyver life is not for me. Like get the long handle titanium spoon. <laughs> yeah, those things are awesome. I had the uh, the extendable version ones for, uh, mine wasn't titanium, it was plastic, but I had mine from Jetboil and they have those extendable ones that you pull out and pull down. Um, they're really lightweight and you can get down in there and theirs was a spork, but it like you use the spoon all the time. That's what you used. I did pack some fresh food with me. So I'd pack a spatula or something like that. So I would pack like I had my hard case for my eggs or something like that, that I'd pack in, you know, something like that. But yeah, those, those, those extendable uh, or long handled spoons are awesome. Yeah. What you is, you can survive uh, with pretty minimal stuff. <laughs> yeah. What is something comfort wise that people might not think about, about on the trail that you might've brought with you? Oh, <laughs> so my pack went through a funny transition. So I started extremely lightweight. If, if I, I was weighing pens to figure out if, if like a pen that I needed was less weight than another one by like a gram, um, I would pick one over the other. Uh, I was swapping out my shoelaces. Like I was, I was, it was an Olympic sport for me. I was like, how low can I get this bag? Um, I finished the trail with a board game and a ukulele attached to me. So I went through a very much like, what, what are the comfort items I can start adding back in? So about halfway through trail, I added a pillow. Um, I realized that, you know, sleeping on a rolled up uh, puffy jacket was not necessarily the most amazing thing. And that for two ounces, you can get a pretty inexpensive inflatable pillow. Um, what other luxuries? Oh, I have these socks. They don't make them anymore. And when they went out of business, I bought like 10 pairs because I'm terrified. I needed a lifetime supply. Um, they're possum down socks. Uh, they used to be made in Australia. Um, a local company, not a local company, a US company tried to make them similar, but they're not the same. But they were my like every night I took off my wet gross sock and I hung them outside my bag and these are my sleep socks. I only wore these things inside of my tent inside of my quilt they did not touch ground um they were and they're lightweight they're only like two or three ounces but yeah by the time I finished I realized that like I had my what's called trail leg I was still cruising 25 30 miles a day um and then adding a couple pounds here and there didn't really matter as much so I had I had Christopher send me out my ukulele which I think weighs like 14 ounces um and yes we measured that too uh and every night you know as we're heading to Canada where I think it's this point it was maybe Oregon or Washington that he sent it out um I'm just playing the ukulele my, my trail name was pipes I, I sing uh and so it was just a fun little monotony breaker um and then my trail family and I one of us had a uh, uh he had he had started with a um a travel set of Catan uh, and so every night we would play a couple rounds of Catan and somehow managed to like not kill each other in the process. We would like finish a game, no hard feelings, pack up and hike the next day. Um, but the deal was the loser had to carry the board. Uh, and so I just happened to have lost the day before we hiked into Canada. So I, I, I walked into Canada with a board game and a musical instrument. There you go. For me, one of the big things is extra socks. I find it very important to take care of my feet when I'm on the trail. So I will pack more than the average pair of socks because I'll have, I'll have like one pair of socks or two pairs of socks I'm wearing if I'm starting to get a blister and then I'll have one pair of socks drying off the side of my back and then my nighttime socks in the back you know so it's it's uh socks is definitely something that I think a lot of people overlook and and don't realize how important they could be on the trail and uh I've hiked with those Vibram five fingers before and you have to be really careful with those because you can give yourself so many blisters with those things because i love those shoes but they don't really make them that in a size that really fits me very well and it's such a challenge to get anything the closest things i found to those is merrill makes a uh, a uh like zero weight barefoot type hiking shoe but it doesn't have the individual toes and, yeah. and so I think you like the ultras, the ultras and the Merrells tend yeah. to go hand in hand. So I, I wear zero drop minimalist shoes in the front country, but in the back country ultras. 
absolutely every day all day i'll have to try those I, i'll next time i go shoe shopping i'll have to look for a pair of ultras i typically got the merrells because it was the one store in uh san diego when i was shopping for shoes that carried my size it was like the outlet store where i and like i hate shoe shopping to the point where i would go in with like a few hundred bucks and buy as many shoes as i could just so i wouldn't have to go shoe shopping for the next three years you know like it's <laughs> So we uh, we want to close out uh, getting ready to go. And there's five questions I always ask my guests coming on. And first question is, what do you think are three foods that everybody should avoid in their diet? Mm, everybody should avoid. Um, I have been super saddened to see how many modified starches there are in a lot of quote unquote keto foods nowadays. Um, and so I don't know if I can call out three specifically because there's so many of them. So there's a lot of Franken foods where if you really wanted an ice cream bar, it sounds great. You look at the label and it's like two net carbs per bar. This is wonderful. But then through whatever trick of the FDA regulation, this fiber has been allowed to be called fiber and it's not a carb, even though it has like a, a, a glucemic response. Um, so generally speaking, if I if it's not something I can buy in a store, I would say avoid it in, in your meals. Um, that being said, there's exceptions to the rule. Like, like I said, we use maltodextrin in two of our meals because it helps make the scrambled egg taste like scrambled eggs. Um, it's a binder that helps us, because a lot of, like you said before, a lot of backpacking meals, like the breakfast tastes like egg soup and it's pretty terrible. Um, ours are awesome because we've made very deliberate decisions about those. But if you are, if you're just going about your day to day and it doesn't serve a specific purpose, like if, if you are 100% keto, but this one ice cream bar is what got you through your day, go for it. Everything in moderation. But when I see a bunch of folks who are trying out keto and they show me, you know, oh, I have these, this keto granola and this keto ice cream bar, and then this keto snack pack later, and then these keto frozen meals, I'm just, I'm just horrified. So I, I don't have three specific ones, but it's very much a watch out for keto processed food. And that includes backpacking food. Look at our labels, make sure it matches with what you're doing. Like some of our meals are not clean keto. A lot of them are, everybody has different needs and just making sure that you're trying to keep it as clean as possible is what we strive for. Um, and, and we don't want to let uh, perfection be the enemy of progress. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, when you're in situational, you have to have situational sacrifices sometimes. And it's just, it's par for the course. You also got to be aware when you go to the store and you see something labeled keto, more than likely there's an ingredient in there that is, is, is up there pretty high. That's, that is more than likely going to kick you out of ketosis. I can't tell you how many times I've picked up a keto product and the second ingredient in is something like coconut sugar. Or something yeah. like that. You know, it's yeah. it's or where it's only keto, but if you actually adhere to the to the serving size. I yeah. I always get pushback from folks when I talk on podcasts or at conferences where they're like, Oh, but your meals aren't keto because some of their meals have have soy in them. And I say, No, keto simply means you are eating below a certain threshold that your body is producing its metabolic pathway through ketosis. You could technically, I wouldn't recommend this, you could technically be on a keto diet and eat nothing but Twinkies and, and Pepsi if you if you kept your amount small enough. Um, that is mm -hmm. not recommended. That is not a healthy way to do keto. The keto just simply refers to the metabolic pathway you're utilizing. And unfortunately, a lot of these keto products I see in stores, if you actually look at the label, yeah, cane sugar might be on there, which 
you know, if it says two net carbs, cool. But if you actually ate more than a tablespoon of, let's say, granola, um, and you actually ate, you know, half a cup, a cup, which is most people's granola serving size, suddenly it's not keto anymore. And you're looking at 15, 20 grams of carbs. And that, that's where I feel like labels should be more transparent and people have yeah. to do too much work on their own to make sure it works for them. Yeah. It, it, you know, like you said, keto is a metabolic state. I think it was Ben Bickman that said like you bread can be keto if you eat a small enough amount of it, you know, and uh, exactly at the same time, you know, you also got to take into consideration you're when you look at that label, you're more than likely not eating that service uh, serving size. So exactly. as we, as we discussed, so when you see something that's, it's got a high amount of sugar, are you really going to put that serving size in? Are you really going to have a tiny little cup of coffee with the, or are you going to have a big cup of coffee, you know, or are you going to plug it into an IV and walk around, you know, mainlining the yeah. coffee? But, uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, um, you know, that's, that's definitely, that's, that has something that has to take into consideration. And, and on the chocolate thing, I was looking for something that would be like a keto version of M&Ms to answer the question of, of uh, Doug Hildebrand. And they're just not out there. Like the closest thing I could find was Unreal. And Unreal still had a, a bunch of, first of all, I, I'm not sure inulin fiber is a great thing to eat while you're out on trail and not close to a bathroom. Correct. Um, <laughs> just saying, you know, but, you know, there's tapioca starches and a ton of modified starches and stuff in there. Because the only trail worthy chocolate that I know of is, is something like an M&M, you know, that's not going to melt and get all over the place. But there, that just doesn't exist in the keto world. Yeah. Um, and it's wax coating. It's, it's, it's if you're yeah. caring about your body, like like you will survive on trail without without chocolate. I promise you. Or just be fine with it melting. Like that's that's just the nature of the beast. Well, I've, I've personally made my own like hot chocolate mixes to take with me out on the trail. And, and I, I kind of, uh, looked at what Dave Asprey did with, or was it Dave Asprey or yeah, it was Dave Asprey he made the bulletproof hot chocolate mix and his doesn't taste that great. So, um, wait till ours comes I, out. Ours is pretty bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, his doesn't taste, his has that kind of weird artificial sugar taste to it like um but i've made my own and and i've 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 done pretty well with that and um but uh, i definitely you know that that's about the closest thing you can get as far as i can tell you know and if you hit a town somewhere and you want to have like even like lilies and stuff is is not very clean anymore they use all kinds of stuff on there and uh but if you happen to find like my go-to lately is 100 percent chocolate oh you're a stronger soul than i <laughs> well i i take um you know those goat cheeses, the fruited goat cheeses? So you take one of those and you take a little square of the 100% chocolate, cut a piece of the fruited goat cheese off, put it on top and eat it. And it's it's great. So that's, the, you know, and you get a little sweetness from that, you know, and there's a little bit of sugar in that fruited, you know, but you're, it, again, the devil's in the dosage. So, you know, you get a little bit of that, but you got plenty of fats and things like that to keep you going. So that's, that's a great well, way to I'll go. I'll have to but, try that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. And then plus, I also know a guy out here at Craftsman Cliffs Roasters, and this dude makes his own chocolate. He, he, he makes his, he roasts coffee and he also roasts cocoa beans and he makes a hundred percent chocolate. And I swear to you, like you could get some of his hundred percent chocolate and it'll have hints of, of cherry to it. It'll have like hints of like, and it's phenomenal even without the sugar. And you're like, I can eat this, you know, that type of thing. Whereas if you're buying, let's say, um, Ghirardelli's or something like that, and you're like, ah, oh, this is 
bitter. So there's also is who's making it is also a big key. So what are three foods you think everybody should include in their diet? Oh, I'm going to stick to backpacker diet because I think that there are three foods that most backpackers, whether you eat keto or not, should be eating and they're not. And that is macadamia nut, olive oil, and salamis. Like those are the three things that without trying too hard, any backpacker can throw in their bag and go. And guess what? Those are all ketogenic. So whether or not you're doing a keto diet on trail or you are just a conventional diet, a conventional hiker looking to add more fats and calorie dense foods, like those are three things that will that will completely change the, the way you eat on trail. I'm going to add an old man addendum and I'm going to say <laughs> collagen to, oh, to oil. Keep, keep, those, the, keep those joints good. Yeah. 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 Oil for the tin man. There you go. <laughs> Who are five health heroes for you? And I know there's Oof. probably more than five. We, you know, somebody's going to get left out. Don't feel bad. But I, I limit to five for time. But who are five health heroes to you that, that can give other people uh, references to look up and do deeper dives on too? Yeah. Oh, some of these are keto related. Some of these aren't. The first two are maybe not them specifically, but more their genre. I've been reading a lot of, I'm, I'm not a runner. I hate running. Like it is misery to me. I, I do not understand what a runner's high is. This just seems like punishment you do willingly. It, it's foreign to me, but I feel like it's a thing that I should like to know how to do. Um, so I'm trying to be a better runner. And as part of that, I've found a lot of really great books written by either non-runners who became runners or like the history of running or why they run. Um, two of those are um, Christopher McDougall, who wrote, um, I think it's Born to Run, um, about this tribe uh, who runs everywhere and about the history of how our feet develop for running, how we used to run in olden days, which as a hiker, like knowing how our feet develop was really cool. Peter mm-hmm. Sagel from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Also, I forget the name of his book, but he has one about why he runs marathons and the meditative state that he finds in them. And I find them inspiring. Like I want to reach that that level of running. And they're also just really great reads. So I think that um, those two are sort of in the genre of just like really great writers who write about running. I think uh, maybe in popular opinion, I think Atkins, Dr. Atkins, his original research and books in the, what was it, late? 80s, early 90s, really paved the way for keto as a socially acceptable diet. I think that a lot of it was really science heavy and misinterpreted by the everyday person. So you end up eating a lot of butter and bacon and fats and and not as many veggies as you should be eating. But I think that's not a problem with Atkins. I think that was an issue with how mainstream diet culture really struggled to shift away from the typical food pyramid. But he was the kind of the first one to really blaze that trail, so to speak. And so I love that the door that that really opened up for the, the science and research behind ketogenic diets. Who else? Um, I don't know if you've read anything by Matthew Walker. Uh, I think it's called The Science of Sleep. Um, mm-hmm. A fantastic read on uh, and deep dive into the research of um, why sleep matters and how to get good sleep and what, what what the difference is and how it's actually pretty closely tied to our longevity. Um, it made me suddenly terrified. Every insomniac moment I have now, I'm just like, I'm dying earlier because of this. Like, oh no. Um, but the book's really the book's really great and I learned a ton. And the last one, it sounds like a suck up. I swear it isn't. But I listened to so much of Carrie Brown on trail. Uh, Carrie Brown and the keto evangelist guys, I was ravenous for for noise in my ears because you're just walking yeah. all the time. And I was consuming podcasts at, a, at an unscalable rate. I had gone through all of the radio labs and all of the books on tape I possibly could. And I started going into the keto stuff. And I was like, well, if I, if I really commit to this like keto business, maybe um, who else is out there? And, and who else can I learn from? And, and I remember a lot of Carrie Brown's early, like I remember she had this episode on just like the effort it took to make her ice cream cookbook and like how many versions 
person she had thrown out. And I'm, I was literally in like the forest outside of Tahoe, just like on top of a mountain going, yeah, that sounds really challenging. I'm just, I'm just hiking as I'm listening to this. Um, so I, I think that there's been some really great podcasters that have kind of come out and I don't know, made, made keto more accessible that, yeah, you know what, it can be kind of hard to recreate some of the things you knew and loved in your conventional eating life, but um, you don't have yeah. to give it all up, whether that's ice cream or backpacking. Yeah. Because Carrie's a glutton for punishment too. She's created the ice cream of the month club where she's now oh. forced to come up with a new ice cream every month. People who have taken her ice cream masterclass now can go into that. And <laughs> so, yeah, she's, she's coming up like um, we, uh, she's, she's been doing ice creams based on all of her cats names for like the first round. And so 10 backpacking recipes, her ability to come up with this many ice cream flavors is astonishing. <laughs> yeah. We have two baby cats that made it in recently and they're now not so much babies and they're kind of big, but one of them is Buster. He's this gray cat with, you know, some white specks. And so we, she created the fluff buster ice cream because this cat loves to any kind of like fluff on the ground or something like that. he just mesmerizes him and he plays with it all day and, you know, tosses it around and stuff like that. So she made the fluff buster ice cream and, and, uh, we did another one, she, McHenry. There's that old McHen the, the old Henry candy bar. Yeah, so yeah. she made she made O McHenry. All right. So yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff that she's been doing lately. And then um I've been kind of not on the ice cream front because that's not really my forte, but uh I've been doing like quick recipes and things like that you can do that I would be able to cook on a truck. And so that's kind of thing. But yeah, she's she's at a different level. And yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> so and her, her granolas, like she's made some of those granolas or like the hot porridge, the hot cereals. And they're oh, just yeah, yeah. Like, phenomenal, you know, like they, like I've, we'll have, I make to collaborate, versions. put together a little blog post. <laughs> yeah. I, I make her cause I'll go out. Carrie lives and I live with her in the middle of like what's, what's like a national forest. Like there's all these state parks and everything right nearby. And I can literally hike right outside the house and hike for a few minutes and go set up my hammock right by a little stream somewhere and just kind of hang out. Ugh. Me and my dog, which I call the 20 pound attack gerbil because uh, her, <laughs> I don't think she makes the weight requirement to be officially a real dog. You know, we go out there and one of the things I'll bring out with me is, is I'll make a hot porridge using things like a, a coconut uh, flour and, and ground up nuts and macadamia nuts and things like that. And then, you know, whatever I'm going to flavor it with. And it's usually some sort of coffee and chocolate butter combo thing, you know, and, and that's, that's where we go. And uh, so it's, she, a lot of this stuff was inspired by her. Cause I like the same time I was listening to her on, on the truck when I was driving, you know, across the country, because when you're driving, I, I don't see any reason why a professional truck driver should not be one of the most educated people on the planet, because all you got is time. <laughs> and, yeah, and like just that, a lot of airtime to fill. Yeah. And like you mentioned, Matthew Walker, I have his audio book, you know, the, the science of sleep on my listen to that a couple of times now. And like, when you said the name, I was like, I know that name. Go, oh yeah. <laughs> so, and then when you talked about running, my mind went to BB King because I hate running too. And uh, I, I always use BB King's quote about I'm built for comfort. Comfort. I'm not built for speed. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will get behind that quote for sure. <laughs> yeah. So the next question is if there was a health myth you could change overnight what what would that be? I find myself continually frustrated. Um, I feel like convincing people that keto is valid is one thing, but then you have this weird subdivision within keto that 
soy or, you know, maltodextrin or sugar alcohols aren't keto. And so whenever like somebody will post like, yeah, like the, the breakfast that you love, like the, the, the steak omelet, we'll post it to some keto group and we'll get, we'll get a notification for it. And somebody will inevitably say it has soy. That's not keto. And that, that phrase, that misconception, that's not keto. I hate this, that it is a perfectly valid way of eating to eat clean keto or veggie keto, or however you want to interpret your own ketogenic diet. There's a phrase on trail. It's hike your own hike. Um, and what that generally means is, is most hikers on trail are only worried about what's in their pack, what they brought, what they are eating and how they are getting from point A to point. And so if you're only doing five miles a day, I can tell you no hiker is going to tell you you're going too slow. If you're, if you're cruising too fast, no hiker is going to tell you you're going to get injured. Like Hike your own hike is very much owned and and embodied on trail. And I really wish that that would apply more to people and the way that they ate in, in the normal everyday lives, where just because I might really enjoy my, my breakfast with soy because it makes my eggs taste like eggs on trail, doesn't actually mean that it's for everybody. And, and that's okay. You know, hike your own hike. Eat, eat keto the way that you want to eat keto, whatever that means to you, whatever works for you. Some people hate nightshades. Some people can't do tomatoes. Some people, you know, if they have a little bit of sugar alcohol, it sets them off. Like that doesn't mean you're wrong. If, if you're in ketosis, you're eating keto. Just go with it. I will say if you're going to have sugar, alcohol on trail, be careful. <laughs> in moderation is always across all things. You might want to you might want to try some of those sugar alcohols before you go out on trail and see how your body reacts to it because you you yeah. may have a zero day if you have too much of that. <laughs> Things to so, practice at home is is your sugar yes. alcohols and your and your female pea salt bottles. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> So what is something about the medical industry, if you could change it overnight, what, what would that be? I think it's that same mentality around keto. I feel like this is probably an answer you get a lot. As much progress as ketosis as an accepted and, and understood you know, method of eating um, has grown in the last five or six years, I still feel like I go into, like I'm dealing with a, with a, with a torn hip labrum from a, from a climbing injury. I rock climb. And when I go in to talk about MRIs and like, you know, strategies to fix it, like it's not debilitating, but it's a thing that I'm going to have to get fixed eventually. Uh, one of the questions they ask is like, well, what does your diet look like? And I say, oh, I eat keto. And even though that has nothing to do <laughs> with my hip, if anything, it's probably helping because of the, you know, inflammation properties. The first thing that doctor says is, oh, that doesn't sound healthy. We should get you off of that. Let's, let's put you on like a regular conventional diet. And I, I'm like, no, I've been literally eating this way for at this point, almost 10, 15 years now. Like I know it works for my body. I, it is no longer this fringe diet group that is just trying to prove that, you know, if you eat I feel like at this point, maybe like the the zero carbers are like that next level of like fringe group. But like there are varying levels and varying ways of eating that um, have gained some some social cred. And I feel like keto is so close to being medically accepted, but it just isn't there yet. Um, and so every time I talk about with a doctor, maybe I'm I'm really tired or I have some aches and pains or just just typical like I'm I'm nearly 35. I turn 35 next month. Like I'm reaching that age where like hangovers are a thing, aches and pains are a thing. Like I'm expecting this, and so I'll start having more doctor's visits about things that hurt on my body. But I feel like as I'm starting to have those conversations, like about my hip, the the diet that I eat is suddenly kind of pointed and accused that. And I, I, I'm i really looking forward to the day the medical community just sort of accepts it, that this is not a thing that's going to kill a person, that it's not bad to eat mostly proteins and fats and, and to to really manage your macros that way. Um, but yeah, that's, there's still a hill to climb, but it's it's been started. The medical industry is great at certain things, but the way that the lobbying works, they got so many things backwards. And, and like Hannah, both Diaz and I were talking about it, where the medical industry advises people who are diabetic to eat more carbs and just cover it with insulin, you know, and things like that. It's like, 
no, that's why do you need to add more insulin if you could just cut out the carbs? Insulin's you know? working for you, great. Like yeah. I'm, I'm again. I, I said this earlier, but like I'm never one to look at somebody else and say, oh, you should try keto. Like if somebody's yeah. interested in keto, I'm happy to be a resource. And and again, our website is not about just selling things. Our website is a resource for hikers and keto folks who are looking yeah. for more information. It is not a like here's why keto hiking is great. Um, right. And and if insulin treats your diabetes successfully and you feel like you're you know, your life is not impinged by it. Great. You know, cool. But if you're looking for other ways, doctors should be able to tell you what those other ways are and be educated yeah. enough with, with, with funded studies. Yeah. But that's the problem with the, like the American Diabetes Association. They're telling you to actually eat more carbs and just cover it with insulin. You can't live without your carb, you know? And I worked, at, I worked at group homes for at-risk kids and we had to follow those guidelines. It, you know, knowing now what I know now, I, I did, you know, I was part of doing so much damage to a population of kids who are diabetic often because of the medications that they were on. But in order to help them get healthy, the group home was feeding them green bean casserole loaded with, you know, French fried green onions and things, giving them tons of candy to get them to be quiet and then just giving them insulin. So it's, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's something I have, I struggle with quite a bit. And it's not that I'm trying to tell people how, what to do. It's just that the guidelines of what people are told to do and what's healthy is, is I have a problem with. So, and I, agree. I want everybody to be able to find Jesse Greger, the website, the contact information, shoot you an email thing. So can you, can you leave us our your contact. Yeah. So the company is Next Mile Meals. Uh, you can find us at uh, nextmilemeals.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram at, you know, at Next Mile Meals. And also, like I said earlier, like I read most of the emails that come across the company's page. So like, if you want to reach out to talk to me or um, our very tiny staff, uh, it's just hi, H-I at nextmilemeals.com. And you will hear back from us. It's not a it's not a void of corporate America. It's, it's our tiny family run company. That's awesome. And I, I want to say too, Carrie and I have affiliate for next mile meals and we we only affiliate for companies that we like because of the fact that you know companies that I would use and because of the fact that I have used next mile meals out on the road and and uh, look forward to using them again the more I'm able to hit trail and things like that we do have an affiliate link for you guys and um, if you want to help one if you want some great meals and, and support a small woman-owned company that's that's working to shake up the backpacking industry and and have uh, the the outdoor industry in general definitely go to order some. And if you want to go through our affiliate link, you could also help podcast and help us keep keep going. So I will list the affiliate link down below in the show notes and you guys will be able to find it and, uh, and access everything. Also, I want to ask everybody, we are out of podcast reviews. I need more podcast reviews so I can read them on air. It also helps the podcast get out to more people. So please leave a review down below. If you want to get some awesome keto cookbooks, go to carriebrown.com. One of the ones that is really awesome because so many people miss their flavored drinks on uh, on keto. Carrie has the 101 Keto Beverages Cookbook, and it has some awesome awesome recipes in there for things, everything from really fancy coffees to a recipe for cherry cola. 
So it's really cool. And she also has a special, if you go to the website too, you can get all five digital cookbooks for the price of three and it's a 40% off savings. So we want to get those things out there to everybody. And uh, if you want to join the ice cream masterclass and learn how to make keto versions of Rocky Road, Moose Tracks, Cherry Garcia, there's also a link on there and it's a teachable course. You can get up there with videos, all kinds of things. And afterwards, if you want to be part of the ice cream masterclass, that's the way to go. As always, I want to request for everybody we are you know nearing the halfway point of a new year be kind to one another be nice to one another spread joy out there rather than being negative and things like that and and brighten up people's day that stuff comes back to you let's make a better world just by being nice to each other all right everybody i'm signing off so long have a great day thank you for joining us on the fatty joe show be sure to leave a comment and subscribe it helps the show reach more people to support the show as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash the Fatty Joe Show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.